and love is all that I can give to you. Love is more than just a game for two. Two in love can make it. Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love, that just need a little more attention in the world. And our movie today is a perfect candidate for this show. In fact, this is one that was one of my very first choices for this podcast. And the problem was I just couldn't find anybody out there who knew it. It's super obscure. It shouldn't be super obscure, and the way I'm going to lead into it is uh, a little different than I do most shows. I will say, here we go, in 1997, Bill Murray was a guest on The Daily Show starring Craig, Craig Kilborn, the original Daily Show host, and Craig had a uh, segment, which was five questions, where he asked his guests just five random questions, and they were supposed to answer it off the top of their head, and one of the questions that Kilborn asked Bill Murray, his the guest that day, was, name two really funny Bill Murray movies. And right off the top of his head, Bill Murray said, Quick Change and the first Ghostbusters. And let me point out that he said Quick Change first, before Ghostbusters. That was the first one he thought of. That's the movie we're talking about today. A wonderful Bill Murray comedy from 1990 that I've been a huge fan of for years. And I'm really excited to share it with you because I can guarantee so many people out there have never even heard of this before, which is astounding to me. And my guest, uh, like I said, very fortunate I found somebody who not only knows this movie and is a fan of it, but she is a quite an interesting person to uh, begin with as well. Uh, her name is Celia Curran. I went to high school with her, actually. Well, although we didn't know each other then, we've only known each other in over Facebook since then. But she is quite the Renaissance woman. She has had about... Uh, 25 different careers she just very well-spoken opinionated has fun things to say very excited to bring her on the show welcome celia hello and thank you for having me i'm excited to be here <laughs> now I, uh, I was gonna make this joke right off the bat here but celia being on the show exposes the lie of this podcast that you think i'm here just to talk about movies but no this is just a roundabout way to get girls from high school to talk to me <laughs> So you fell into my trap. It's like a Venus flytrap. I got you. Thank you. <laughs> so Celia, tell us a little about yourself. Um, what have you been up to since high school? What are you known for now? Uh, so yeah, in high school, I was definitely the the theater nerd person. Uh, you know, we we call ourselves movie nerds now, but we were totally theater nerds in high school. Uh, in fact, Mrs. Lacker, our drama teacher and uh, director of all of our shows in high school, would be very proud for me to share that our motto was "Thespians do it on stage, techies do it in the booth." So um, yeah, been involved with uh, theater and all things. Um, just, you know, basically being a ham as, as I was wont to do when I was very little, I was, uh, that girl that would walk up to McDonald's and sing them their theme song. So, uh, I think I've always been a performer at heart. My mom, Jackie, who I will uh, talk about a little bit later, um, was also a, a total drama nerd, went to university of Washington, uh, drama. She was a drama major in college and, um, definitely instilled the, the love of all things, movies and pop culture and, uh, coached me on my first audition. So yes, in high school, I was known as as the girl with the voice and uh, ended up growing up to go study classical music at a very pish posh conservatory in Manhattan. 
uh, and then was also working in cosmetics. So I had a career in cosmetics for like 18 years. Uh, I've been a cake decorator before, and now I work in the marijuana industry in Washington State. So yeah, totally, um, completely qualified for any podcast whatsoever. <laughs> so that, that classical music degree led you right into medical marijuana sales. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah, I know this might sound odd to people outside the West Coast. I mean, I live in California now. I grew up in Seattle where you live and marijuana is legal now in both of our states. But I know in the rest of the country, it's still not correct. Uh, in the, the actually, there are more states now that have voted for medical marijuana. So over I think over half the country is now uh, medically legal, if not uh, recreational. They're working on the recreational part of it. But Oklahoma just voted to go medical. So that's very exciting in our, our industry. Um, and the medical market and the recreational market are still kind of, you know, two halves of a very big hole. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's very interesting being in Washington and being able to walk into a store and, you know, buy a joint. It's pretty cool. Now, I heard you recently won some sort of award. Would you like to explain that? We did. So uh, I work for a company called Mirth Provisions, uh, purveyors of uh, brands such as Legal Beverages, and we make an amazing sublingual product, which is a product that you spray under your tongue uh, called Drift. And we just won runner-up best sublingual for the Dope Cup. Hooray! <laughs> Which is actually a really big deal. The Dope Cup is a big deal. Dope Cup Awards are, you know, it's big in the, the marijuana community. So uh, if you're a fan of pot, <laughs> check it out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, a uh, very unique uh, choice for guest on this show. Although I will say right off the bat, I'm a little uh, intimidated because I have a very quiet voice. I don't know. You didn't know me in high school, but I was the super introvert. And I, I have this one of the quietest voices around. So when I'm doing this podcast, I'm practically yelling just to get up to like normal volume for a person. And here I am doing a podcast with a person who's classically trained in voice. So this is going to be a little struggle here to keep up with you, I think. Do you want me to whisper? <laughs> no. No, I, I have enough time in the editing just trying to fix my own levels. Please do not whisper. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. One, one of my uh, other dream jobs, which who knows, maybe I'll make it happen is to actually be a voice actor. So um, maybe maybe this will be my introduction. <laughs> yeah. I have dozens of listeners out there, so this could really be your big break. Yeah, dozens. <laughs> <laughs> There's dozens of us, Michael. Dozens. <laughs> dozens. Woohoo. Well, thanks for the dozens that are listening. Okay. Well, again, I just have to thank you for knowing Quick Change because this has been a favorite of mine for years. Um, I saw it in the theater opening night, my parents, and I think my brother might have been there. I'm not sure if he was cool enough to come with us. He was still a little kid, but I went for sure. Like, I've known this movie for years. Have you been a fan of Quick Change for, for ever since it came out? Yes. So same thing. My, my mom and I, I very, very much remember seeing this early on. This movie has been part of my lexicon. So there are a couple lines that I have said over and over and over again since I can remember. So I don't physically remember seeing it in the theater, but I must have had to because these lines have been part of my life since since high school, basically. And they are. And again, I, I, I 
you know, um, have to credit my mom for this because uh, my mom would have been the person to take me. So, uh, you know, my, my mom was not afraid to uh, to take take us to anything that was weird or kooky. Um, and my mom, like, for instance, she she took me to see Goonies when it came out in the theater. And we loved it so much. After the movie ended, we sat there and watched the credits. And it was just the two of us. I have an older sister, but she who knows where she was that day. And mom and I are sitting in the theater and she looks over, but she goes, do you want to stay and watch it again? And I was like, yes. And we just sat there and watched through Goonies again because it was that good. So clearly my my mother knew what she was doing and raising a movie nerd. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure we saw this in the theater. And I, 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 just like you, can't believe that there aren't more people that have not heard of this movie because uh, it's it's hysterical. Yeah. Do you know many people? Like, could you name three people off the top of your head who you're friends with, who who you could quote this movie with? I'm just curious. Maybe one. Yeah, and that's the same with me. Yeah. And and it's yeah. funny because at the time, like when this movie came out in 1990, pretty much everybody knew it. It was a fairly big hit, and it was well received and was considered a, a top tier Bill Murray movie. And just within about five years, it just disappeared. And I'm not sure why this one did, and other yeah. Bill Murray ones didn't. Like I remember specifically in college in 1994, I had a uh, RA who had a big VHS movie collection, and he'd always bring all the kids in the dorm together to watch them. And we'd all just die. These comedies were just, they're killing us. But the one that made us laugh the hardest was Quick Change. Yeah. And that's only four years after it came out. So I'm not sure exactly why this movie disappeared, but it just did. Yeah. I I'm, I mean, I don't know. It's it, the, the, the thing that I noticed the most about this movie is that it's, it's the small moments that are the funniest is these really random, like just asides, like almost like, you know, vignettes like uh, akin to, you know, family guy, but not a complete cutaway. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just like, that's, that is, was just, just so delightful is that, you know, you've got these like little super random moments that are just these one-offs if you blink you're gonna miss them and it's just yeah it's 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 in the chemistry between everybody and all of the again i know we'll get into this as we start talking about the movie but all of the people that are in this movie like i watched this last night and i was like oh wait oh my god it's that guy oh oh my gosh what's he doing in this because i hadn't i haven't seen this movie in so long so you know the parts that i remember clearly definitely stand out but there are so many other parts that i'd completely forgotten about that was so much fun to rediscover yeah and and we talked about this before with uh, other Bill Murray movies that he's well known for just improvising his dialogue. He doesn't really follow mm-hmm. a script. I'm not sure if he's improvising this one as much. This one, for people who don't know, this is, this is the only movie that Bill Murray ever directed. So he was in charge of this one. He controlled it. It seems a little more tightly scripted, perhaps, than some something like Meatballs or Caddyshack. So I'm not sure he's improvising it, but it, but... Even without that, it's still just one Bill Murray one-liner after another of him just reacting to crap around him. And and I think I read somewhere just recently that critics would consider this like the definitive uh, uh, defining point in Bill Murray's career where he stops being the young smartass and he starts being the old, world-weary old person who's just tired. And this is like the movie where he makes the switch to the older guy. And it's just perfect because I'll just sum up real quickly. This movie is about bank robbers that rob a bank in New York and try to escape and they just get bogged down in New York City and they can't get out because of all this shit in New York City that just is frustrating. 
and and they and and the whole reason they rob the bank is to get out of New York City because they're miserable. <laughs> yeah, and that leads into about my next point, I guess. Yeah, it's it's Bill Murray reacting just to all this crap around him and how much New York sucks. And that's the other thing that really jumps out when I watch this movie is that yeah, it's about Bill Murray, it's about a bank robbery, it's a comedy, but it's really just a taking a big old steaming dump on New York City. <laughs> which is which is hilarious. And also, as a, another side note, I lived in New York for seven years. Uh, like, you know, I, I mentioned I went to Pish Posh Music School. So that was I grew up in Seattle, you know, ended up moving to New York for a while and then moved back home. And so there's also a bunch of landmark things. And, and there's one in particular, which we will also get to when, like, by the time they leave the bank and get to their another location i'm like wait that's not logistically possible and it's not something i would have ever noticed had i not lived there so you know little little funny things you pick up on but yeah the the whole movie the over the whole course of the movie all they do is talk about how much they hate that or he, he in particular i hate this town god i hate this town and you know it does it becomes its own character as new york does in many of the films that take place there yeah, in my uh, Lost in America podcast, there's a running joke in that movie that the characters hate New York. They don't want to move there. And my co-host was from New York for that episode. And he was like, it's so weird to see this in a movie because everyone loves New York. I've never seen a movie where people just bash on New York. And I'm like, well, you should watch Quick Change because the whole <laughs> point of that movie is that New York sucks. In fact, even to the extent that I, I just uh, saw an interview that Bill Murray gave right after this movie came out. And he specifically says, he goes, well, everyone will love this comedy. It's really funny. But the people that will really like it is New Yorkers because they know how much their city sucks. <laughs> so yeah. I just every time I watch this movie, I'm just amused by how gleeful it is at just pointing out that New York sucks. And especially with Bill Murray as the lead and the director, because, you know, he's a Chicago guy. He's Mr. Chicago. You know how much fun he was having just crapping on New York every chance he got in this movie. Oh, funny. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because, again, you think about Ghostbusters takes place in New York. So, you know, I I, for, I forget about his history and the fact that, yeah, he's a Chicago guy. Also, somehow completely missed that he directed this movie. So that makes so much more sense, like thinking back on it and his kind of sense of humor. Yeah, that. Yes, clearly this is a Bill Murray vehicle, but a good one. And, you know, it does. It shows his shift of, of being the like you know, young, dumb comedian to, ha you know, having a little bit more heart because as this movie progresses, it kind of loses some of the more snappy comedic bits because it actually has like feeling and, and, you know, conflict and there's, you know, there's, there's a little bit of emotion involved instead of it just being, you know, a, a pure vehicular comedy for Bill Murray. So, you know, yeah, maybe this was a, a transitional moment in his career and, who knows maybe that's why not as many people are so so quick to think of it okay so a couple things just to sum up before we delve into the plot of the movie here um absolutely one of the most quotable movies i have ever owned i have never not owned this movie i bought it almost instantly after it came out i've had it on vhs or dvd at some point over the years ever since and again i would rank this right up there with like ghostbusters you know blazing saddles any of my movies in my collection just one-liners now celia i don't know if girls used to do this as well but it was something that i did and all my friends did in college is where you take sound clips from movies and you'd Put them as your, your like default sounds on your windows on your computer. 
all my nerd friends would do this, and Quick Change was like the big one. You would always, like, if you hit a critical stop on your computer, the computer would yell at you, and you could put a movie clip there instead. And for years, I had Randy Quaid from Quick Change saying, What do you got, shit in your ears? Come on! <laughs> so, I don't know. Did girls, That's amazing. Yeah, did girls do that as well? Because Quick Change was my movie. I think so, but I mean, for me, it would have been one of those things where I, because I'm not that technically savvy, although I like to think I am, but I'm not, or at least I wasn't. So it would have been something that I would have put on like my my answering machine. <laughs> oh yeah, it works there as well. Yeah, just the number. There's at least probably 50 great one-liners in this movie. Am I even underselling that? Do you think? No. Uh, in in my notes, actually, most of my notes are our quotes from from the movie, like things that just made me laugh that I didn't want to forget are so funny. Um, my my personal favorite and the one that has stuck with well, yeah, the one that stuck with me for years and years and years is up your butt with a coconut. <laughs> yeah. just so random and and weird, um, but absolutely hilarious. And I can still say that to my mom, and she will laugh. Yeah, and, and again, it's it's not just Bill murray like we're talking about bill murray just one linering after one after another but the side characters in this movie are hysterical oh yeah and i'll just name a couple actors here and and bill murray is even said and i saw an interview with him in about 10 years ago and he said there's no way we could get that cast for quick change now because they were all they all became much bigger names later yeah like you got tony Shalhoubin here as a cab driver who doesn't speak a lick of english and i don't even think he's speaking a real language at all but he's so funny yeah, and then you have uh, Stanley Tucci shows up yep. in here as a mob guy. Yep. And you got uh, Kurtwood Smith as, uh, yep. I don't know if people know him. He's the bad guy in, like, Dead Poet Society and RoboCop. He's in everything. Wait, wait. Isn't he the dad from um, The 70s Show? Oh, yes. That's him. That's him, yeah. Yeah. And he's a villain yeah. here. Yeah. And then let's see. You got Jason Robard. You got yeah. Phil Hartman, of all people, shows up. <laughs> Jason Robards, we gotta we gotta spend a, a moment talking about Jason Robards because he is also one of you know classic '80s archetype, um, you know, just great, great. I grew up seeing him in um, oh my gosh, what's the movie with Matthew Broderick where? Oh wow, I cannot believe someone's gonna bring this movie up because I thought I was the only one who knows this movie. Oh no. yes, okay, we will do this Max one day. Dugan. Max Dugan returns. Yes. <laughs> Oh my! So again, I thank my mother for this because if it wasn't for for Jackie, I would have never seen this movie. Such a good movie, mm -hmm. and yeah, definitely love Jason Robards. And of course, he's got to play the straight guy, and you know, but he's just oh, so good. <laughs> Let's see who else pops up in here. We got uh, Jamie Sheridan, who yes, people might not know him. He's in. If you've seen The Stand, he plays Randall Flag, and this is like. That's what I know. That's hilariously what I know him from as well. And he is an amazing Randall Flagg, might I say. And then the, the, the most WTF cameo in here is you have Bob Elliott, famous radio host who people would know as Chris Elliott's father, plays the bank guard in this movie. Oh, God. I didn't know that was Chris Elliott's dad, but his character in this is hilarious because, yeah. We'll we'll get into it, but yes, he's oh he's so funny. <laughs> yeah, so Bill Murray just passing the wealth around to all these side characters, and every one of them is funny. And uh, we're just going to be giggling left and right when we start quoting this movie. So mm -hmm. let's not beat around the bush. You ready, Celia, to delve into Quick Change? I am ready. 
Okay, again, this is the story of three bank robbers, although it's really one. It's this guy Grimm, uh, played by Bill Murray. He's a city planner in New York, and he just hates New York. He hates his life. It just sucks. He wants to get out of there, and he basically wants to give a big middle finger to New York on his way out. So he plans this bank robbery, and I will get into two, who his two sidekicks are in a second. And uh, anything else I'm forgetting as we lead into the opening scene here? Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, you you know, they what what I love is that they don't reveal the, who the sidekicks are right away, which is so brilliant. Like you understand already that his idea was just truly one of a kind and it keeps everybody else second guessing. That's like trying to figure out who's robbing the bank. Yeah. And here we go. The first 20 minutes of this movie, one of the most distinct openings to a 90s movie I can think of and that's again why it astounds me that people have never even heard of this movie it's like this is the clown bank robbery movie how do you not know that movie but it's amazing mm -hmm. people don't so Celia I'll give it to you I'll hand over the baton lead us into the opening of the bank robbery here well, I'm going to even go earlier than that, because one of my favorite things about this movie and the kind of you, you never you never know what you're going to get is it opens with this just like beautiful, iconic view of New York City. And you see Central Park and the beautiful skyline. But then it pans away and you're actually on a packed and loaded subway with a bunch of people, which if you're a New Yorker, you fucking hate because being packed on a subway with a bunch of people sucks, especially at rush hour. So, yeah, you just you just never know what what you're going to come across and what you're going to see. And as the camera pans around, then we we land on Bill Murray dressed up as a clown who then can't get off the train because everybody's trying to get on the train. So, you know, New York in, in rush hour. ugh, it's it's the worst. Um, yeah. And he walks in. You know, gets get, walks into the to the bank, and immediately we meet our our beloved uh, Chris Elliott's dad as our our bank guard. Um, and uh, yeah, I I didn't actually take notes directly on this one, but uh, oh, although the other the other again, it's like one of those like little mini many moments that if you blink, you're going to miss is when he's walking down the street. And this is also back in the day when Times Square was more like um, uh, like a Las Vegas strip or, you know, really like um, a shithole. like a shithole. Yeah, basically, this is when Ed Koch was still the mayor and it, New York was a shithole and Times Square was gross and seedy and it wasn't the, the Disneyland tourist attraction that it is today. And there were prostitutes and strip clubs and Bill Murray's walking past one of these strip clubs and one of the, the guy, the hawker in front is yelling like, what is he yelling? Live girls or nude, nude girls, nude women, girls, nude, nude women, women, nude women, clowns, welcome, clowns, welcome, nude women. And just, you know, again, just this like just these little moments are just so brilliant. Yeah. And I'm just reiterating what you just said is that Bill Murray's going through New York in full clown outfit. Yeah, he's got the little the little tiny uh, Damon Wayans on In Living Color, the little tiny hat on the top of his head. Oh my God! Yeah, and he's got the balloons and the giant the giant shoes. Yeah, so he's face completely painted. Yes, walking through like the life of an everyday New Yorker in this full clown outfit and holding holding a big huge bouquet of balloons, which is why it's so hard for him to get off the subway. <laughs> yeah, so, 
So Bill Murray struggles to get through this, and then he runs to the bank. And this is the whole crux of the movie, that he's there to rob the bank in this clown outfit. And he sticks his giant foot in the door, and the guard tries to close it. And, and then Bill Murray... Yeah, because it's, it's, it's like five minutes to five, which is when the bank is supposed to close. But there's still people in there, so clearly they're not closed yet. Yeah, so um, Bill Murray showed... Com- or, uh, he basically forces his way into the bank. He's got a gun. He, he pulls his gun and he puts it on the guard and there's a great little one-liner here where <laughs> the guard is like, oh, please, I'm just an old man. And Bill Murray's like, really? <laughs> Which, that's <laughs> such a weird little smart-ass response, but I love, I always love that one. Yeah, and then the, what kind of clown are you? Crying on the inside kind, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nobody, nobody but Bill Murray could pull off the cadence on that joke right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's as good as, yes, it's true. This man has no dick like right up, right up there. But just the most deadpaniest of deadpan lines. Yeah. So, yeah, Bill Murray barges in and he's got the gun and he's got dynamite strapped to him. It's all over his body. And it's what, what I one of the first shots is he walks in the bank and he's like, this is a robbery. And because it's New York, like nobody cares. They just ignore him. And, and he's wearing and he's wearing a clown outfit. So clearly people aren't taking him seriously. <laughs> So he he fires his gun in the air after saying it's a robbery for the second time. And everyone finally realizes, okay, this is a real robbery. And Bill Murray has them lock the door behind him. And basically this will become a heist movie for the next 20 minutes, how he's going to get out of this bank. But I don't want to gloss over some of the great one-liners here. Okay, Celia, here's a personal favorite, this one, where Bill Murray goes up and he he, uh, demands all the money that this guy's getting from a teller. And uh, the guy's like a New Yorker. And he's like, hey, she didn't give me no receipt. I don't get my money if she didn't give me no receipt yet. And Bill Murray kind of shoots this guy a look, this New Yorker a look. And then he says, uh, or would you please give this man a receipt? And he turns to the New Yorker and he's like, and you, watch the double negatives, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, my favorite is when he, when he throws the teller, the, the, the garbage bag and says, fill this up with regular. <laughs> yeah. And again, these are, they don't, yeah, they don't focus on these. These are just background nope. lines. They, they just gloss right over him. And like I, yeah, like I mentioned, if you blink, you will miss it. Yeah, so so Bill Murray rounds up all the people in the bank and he makes them know, he lets them know he's serious. He's got this dynamite, like, I'm going to kill everyone if anybody messes with me. And he rounds them all up into the vault. and Right. Well, before that, though, the, the teller, the manager does end up hitting the emergency button. Oh, yes. Which then in turn, you know, the, the, so the cops are called and, you know, they start barricading. So now they're showing all the people outside reacting to the fact that, oh, my God, there's a bank heist going on. And another one of those amazing little moments are the food carts <laughs> rushing in to try to get their spot because, hey, there's something going on. So people are going to want their like I literally wrote dueling food carts <laughs> on my notes because they're like trying to like, you know, get there first to get a good spot while the police are barricading in front of the bank and again they they don't focus on it it's just this little brilliant detail yeah this is a horribly serious moment but it's a huge spectacle to all of new york everyone rushes to the bank and they're all cheering and stuff so yeah it's a it's going to become a circus which is odd that there's a clown involved but (laughs) (laughs) thank you so anyway yeah so murray's inside the bank and he rounds up all the hostages and puts them in the vault and he basically says all right well eventually they're going to want me to release a hostage so as as a sign of good faith so Mm -hmm. i'll send out the ones that are behaving and any troublemakers in here you're going to cause trouble and you're going to get people killed so don't start causing trouble and as if on cue one of the hostages starts crying and weeping and this is randy quay dressed up in full lumberjack outfit (laughs) 
Yep. <laughs> the whiny guy. Yeah, so Randy Quaid is like, oh, jeez, oh, God. And Murray's like, shut up, shut up. So it's like played very seriously, although you'll find out later that Randy Quaid is one of his sidekicks. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so this is the first meeting of the hostages. They're all rounded up in there. And then Bill Murray goes back out to the front of the bank. And I think this is where we meet Rotzinger, who is the police of ch- chief of police. Yes, yeah, this is this is this is where we get the the infamous phone call and the 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 bank phone rings and Bill Murray picks it up and says, "Mom." <laughs> and Jason Robard says, "No, this is, you know, what's his name? Rotzenberger, Rot Rotzinger. Rotzinger." And Bill Murray says, "Where's mom?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So Bill Murray's got a nice long con game here. He's trying to convince these people that he's crazy. And so Rotzinger, the police chief, starts yelling at him. Jason Robards is yelling at him. And Bill Murray immediately says, you know, I was in Nam with a jerk like you. And you could just get the shot of all the people sitting on the phone call going like, oh, God, a Vietnam vet. Here we go. <laughs> so, yeah, so he so Rotzinger. I don't know why I can't remember the chief's Just name. say Jason Robards. It's easier. Jason Robards is, you know, asking him what what his name is. And I think Bo Murray just says, like, call me Chip. Oh, so, yeah, he's like, call me Chip. And then, oh, wait, oh, wait, no, call me Skip. No, call me Skip. And then, like, uh, you know, a little bit more of the conversation. And no, 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 call, call me Chip again. Like, he just goes goes back and forth between Chip and Skip. Yeah. And this will become important later in the movie. You think it's just a throwaway line, but this Chip and Skip nickname for Bill Murray will have a great payoff at the end of the movie. So remember that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, Bill Murray is on the phone, and the police chief is like, what do you want? And he's like, well, I'm going to rob the bank, and I'm going to kill everybody. And so they're, they're negotiating what's going to happen, and Bill Murray lays down some demands. He's like, I want a uh, city bus full of gas, and I want a Harley Davidson and a monster truck and two helicopters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so Jason Robards is, meanwhile, like, you know, trying to to enter into the bank and, you know, maybe like, oh, we're going to, you know, going through the air ducts or whatever. And Bill Murray's like, no, no, I, I have those loaded with explosives. Of course he doesn't. <laughs> um, oh, and Bill Murray is also in there trying to shoot the camera and missing completely. And, you know, of course, people can hear the gunshots and stuff. And Jason Robert is like, what's what's happening? And so, you know, they're taking him seriously because there's gunshots coming from inside the bank. But it's just Bill Murray trying to shoot the camera and and failing miserably. And then his last shot, like as a throwaway, he shoots it and ends up getting the camera and the look on his face like, oh, okay, I got it. Um, But, yeah, the the little moment of like I I rigged explosives in the in the air ducts and the Jason Robar is like, you know, makes the motion and you can see the guys like that were climbing up the building or climbing back down the building. Like, no, no. So like, you know, Jason Robards is trying so hard to like anticipate what chip or skips next move is going to be. Uh, and he just, you know, clearly can't do it because, uh, Bill, Bill Murray's a a smart cookie. (laughs) Okay. A couple little moments here that I love the one where Robards tells the SWAT team to stop going into the vents. And so they, they Mm -hmm. like terminates their mission and they all come sliding down on their ropes and the crowd from New York starts heckling the SWAT team. They're like, boo! Like, just <laughs> classic New York moment. And Bill Murray watches this. He's like, God, I hate this town. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then the one-liners. The one-liners in this scene, because this is maybe my favorite scene in the movie, at least one of the my two favorite scenes, where <laughs> Jason Robards, again, these are just Bill Murray riffs, where Robards is like, well, you know, just give us all the hostages, and then we'll we'll meet your demands. And Bill Murray's like, oh, I'm sure no harm will come to me once I'm in the bank all by myself. 
<laughs> and then Jason Robards is like, at least give me the women. And Bill's like, get your own women. <laughs> and then, then uh, this becomes important later that Bill Murray asks for the phone number. If I need to call out to the police uh, hotline, what's your number? And Jason Robards gives the number. And Bill Murray's like, and that's here in area code 212. Yes, Which, yes. I have said that line anytime somebody's given me a phone number for like 40 years almost and nobody ever realizes that's a quick change line. They uh-huh. give you the number, just say, oh, that's uh, area code 310, right? Even though literally you yeah. know they're right next door to you. <laughs> right, right. Well, and it's, and again, it's, it's the way he says it. It's like, it's, it's as if he is, you know, um, a, a telephone like operator and, and that's here in area code 212. Like, it's just it's just so his delivery is just so brilliant. Yeah. And it's clear right from the bat, right from the start, Jason Robards can't stand this guy because Bill Murray's just mocking him and giving smart ass responses. And Robards is a very hard edged cop. And here we go to the first hostage release. And this is again, this is actually, despite it being a silly comedy, a pretty brilliant a way for a bank robber to escape. I'd never seen this in another movie. So, oh, yeah. So, yeah. So the hostage to the, the negotiators like, well, give us a hostage. We got your helicopter. And so Bill Murray goes into the vault and says, who am I going to who am I going to release? And all the hostages, you know, they all have opinions over who should go. And this is where Randy Quaid starts acting up again. He's like, oh, God, he's going to kill us. Oh, God. And he like pukes into a glove. Mm-hmm. And so Bill Murray's like, you, you're the type of unstable person who's going to get everybody killed. And everyone's like pe- gasping. And he's like, all right, which hostage should go? And like every single finger, everybody, they, they point points right to rate Randy Quaid. Like, get this guy out of here. All right, so what happens? Randy, he is escorted out of the building, right? Yes, he's escorted out of the building and it basically raving, let the clown is a, is a stark raving madman and like really playing up the whole like he's a lunatic and, you know, crying and just completely unstable. And, and then we, you know, I think we see him being escorted to the, to the back of an emergency vehicle and then we don't really see him again for a little while. Yeah. Okay, for just to sum this up, Randy Quaid is his sidekick. He's got two sidekicks in the bank. They are going to be his two main hostages. And so what's going to happen in the next scene is we're going to meet his other sidekick, who is Gina Davis, very tall, statuesque actress. I don't know if people know her anymore, but she was big name at the time in the 90s. But uh, she I mean, wasn't she like Madam President? She I think people should still know who if you don't know who Gina Davis is. I feel sorry for you. That's true, and a uh, Olympic archer, if I recall. She was in the Olympics, or tried to be. Oh, I did not know that, but I wouldn't put it past her. Yeah, I uh, we we love Gina Davis. Every year for Christmas, uh, we watch The Long Kiss Goodnight as one of our Christmas movies mm-hmm. because she's in a Christmas pageant, and she is really, really funny in that movie, too. Okay, I, was, I thought you were going to go for Halloween and the Beetlejuice connection, but I will go for the Christmas. That's fine. <laughs> Okay, so so Bill Murray goes back into the vault, and it turns out the uh, the the police have given him two more of his demands. The uh, what's the bus is here and the motorcycle, so he owes them two more hostages. And he goes back in the vault, and there's this really tall, statuesque blonde woman, Gina Davis, in a wig. Well, there's there's and there's also the super yuppie guy who basically tries to buy his way out. Uh, I think this guy was I don't remember. I don't think he worked there. I think he was he was one of the customers and, you know, just saying, well, we took a vote and I should be the next one to go. And and uh, Bill Murray says, who voted? And he says, I did. 
And so, you know, this guy clearly thinks that he's entitled and he has this like super fancy watch with a moon cycle and, you know, wants to give it to Bill Murray. But Bill Murray's like, no, 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 I, I, I can't I can't take that from you here. Let me buy it from you. I'll give you three hundred dollars for it. And guy, it's like this is like a, you know pretty expensive watch and then he's in it and then he's and then bill murray's like here and take take my watch it's a timex (laughs) i always yeah i just love riffing uh, bill murray riffing in that scene he's like anybody else like he wanted he wants me to sell me this watch anybody else want to buy it it's got a moon on it (laughs) (laughs) so anyway yeah the guy the yuppie guy cannot buy his freedom but there is a blonde woman in there who starts insulting bill murray and says you're not a man you're a pussy like you have to rob banks you're not a real man and Bill Murray starts getting all angry. So the other hostages, of course, point at her. They say, let's get her out of here. Like, you don't need. She doesn't she doesn't speak for us. She doesn't speak for us. You're you know, you're totally virile. Like, <laughs> You're very manly, Mr. Clown. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking that, again, they're going to upset him psychologically. But, you know, of course, nobody knows that she is his actual sidekick. And what we have also failed to mention in, in the little scenes between the hostage releases, we do see footage of Bill Murray taping rows of dollars together on the desk. So clearly he's setting something up, but we haven't quite seen what it is yet. Yeah. And here comes the big reveal. So. Two hostages are demanded by the cops. Come on out, send them out. And and one of them is the blonde woman. Gina Davis is released, again, as the other hostages demanded. And here comes the second hostage, and it's a strange red-haired man with a little mustache and glasses. And, hey, that's Bill Murray. He has disguised himself as a hostage. He slips out with Gina Davis. And just like that, the bank robber and his two hostage and his two sidekicks have all escaped from the bank under the cover of being hostages. And there's no bad guy left in the bank. But nobody knows this yet. And this is the the genius of the plan. Yes. And so uh, so our our Bill Murray character that has now escaped from the bank, uh, playing a totally, you know, another kind of whiny guy, but not like a crying whiny he's gonna kill us all but like he he's a madman and it's and it's bill murray doing his you know kind of like goofy nerdy um you know kind of whiny character-esque and this is this is where the some of the some of the wonderful lines come up about like you know him talking about how the clown is threatening all everybody and you know being being horrible and looked at gina davis and was like he looked at her and said baby up your butt with a coconut and again just totally random odd thing to say but one of the lines that has always stuck in my mind (laughs) except i saw no coconut as far as i know there was no coconut present oh yeah yeah as far as i know there was no coconut So, yeah, that's the genius of this movie, that the three bank robbers are out of the bank, and they have this plan now where they are, are they taken to the, to the doctor because they've all been mistreated, and from there they escape. And basically they now have free reign to call the police chief anywhere from the world, and they can say they're still in the bank, and they've bought it all this time. So the perfect plan. It's perfect. It's been executed absolutely perfectly, flawlessly. There's no way that they can get caught. Right, Celia? Right. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Unless somebody makes a mistake. Okay. Yeah. And here is the mistake. Again, that's the first 20 minutes of the movie. That's the part that everyone remembers, the clown bank robbery, people that do remember this movie anyway. But now we go to the rest of the movie, the other hour, 10 minutes, which is them trying to get the hell out of New York. 
Exactly. And I think, you know, what also sets this up, too, is that uh, Jason Robards is, you know, I think his reputation is on the line because there are other things going on in his career. And, you know, they talk about some of the other, you know, people that he's caught or whatever him and his his kind of associate. And, you know, basically it comes down to like, do you want to be known as the police chief that let the clown bank robber get away? And Jason Roberts is like, we got to get this guy. So. um, So, yeah. So Jason Roberts is also very motivated to to find Chip the clown. (laughs) And uh, really, the, the reveal comes as, you know, all of a sudden we see the real Bill Murray and the real Gina Davis with her red curly hair, not wearing a blonde wig, holding a, a bottle of champagne and, you know, kissing against the beautiful Manhattan skyline, which is where my logistical complaint comes in, <laughs> because that particular skyline looks like it's actually from New Jersey. They look like they're um, across the water in Hoboken and there's no way they could get there in 15 minutes. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad we have the New York expert giving us the geography because I never thought about it. But yeah, yeah, they've they've clearly escaped and gone quite far already. Yeah, but really, I think they're supposed to be either in Queens. I think they're supposed like because because then, you know, the the first little bit of it is is them trying to get on the the BQE or the Mm -hmm. Brooklyn, Brooklyn Queens Expressway so that they can get to JFK. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's the, just that little, I, I, and again, it was one of those things that I would have never noticed had I not lived there, but I'm like, that looks like Hoboken. Um, <laughs> and you know, the, the timing of it is important because they do flash to clocks because here, you know, Jason Robards and all the police and everybody, they haven't stormed the bank yet. They think that the clown is still inside. So as long as he gets his phone call in a relatively, you know, soon, quick, quick amount of time, like there, there's no reason why they would, the, the police would storm the bank, right? So now Bill Murray's like, oh, excuse me, there's a payphone. Let me go make a phone call. And he, and he goes to, to call Jason Robards and then was like, can I call you back? And then, goes back to Gina Davis so he can go back to making out with her because they just, you know, <laughs> robbed a bank for a million dollars. <laughs> and we should point out to our younger listeners here, this was 1990. This was before caller ID. So you really could have done this, that Bill Murray could have called the police's cell phone from anywhere in the country and there was no way to trace where it was coming from. So, again, this was a perfect master plan that wouldn't work maybe in a movie nowadays unless you had a uh, scrambler or something. Yeah, it's genius. They're ready to go. They just have an easy meandering drive to the airport to escape, and it's all going to get pulled off. Although, here's the rub. Here is how Act 2 starts, is the bank robbers are cocky and ready to just meander over to the airport, except right before Bill Murray hangs up the phone, Randy Quaid in the background accidentally honks the car horn. And you hear it, and instead of hanging up, as Bill Murray should have done, he actually because he was in the action of hanging up when Randy Quaid hit the horn and and put the phone back up to his ear. And Jason Robards is like, what is that? And, you know, Bill Murray is trying to cover and what what was what? Don't try to change the subject. And, it, it, you know, they think, it, you know, they're trying to the police are trying to muse like when they go back to it. Like, do they think it's a it's a, you know, oh, you know, it could nose. be a, you know, cl- a clown nose like no, like they, they, they beep, right? Beep, beep. And Jason Roberts is like, that sounds suspiciously like a car horn. So, you know, Jason Roberts is not a not a dumb guy. He wouldn't have become, you know, chief for because he's because he's not a dumb guy mm-hmm. so you know he it immediately gets suspicious and um therefore they they figure out that you know maybe the clown is no longer in the bank yeah 
And and again, even though this is billed as a comedy, for the next hour, it's actually going to be a fairly tense movie as the bank robbers are working against New York City and the cops are working against New York City and they're all trying to figure out how to get to the airport first. And like again, it's a, it's a cat and mouse game and it gets fairly tense. Mm-hmm. Although, here we go, the first escape try. Like, Bill Murray is, is absolutely crestfallen that Randy Quaid has honked the horn and screwed up their plans. And he's like, well, we still have some time. They haven't realized we're out of the bank. They don't know who we are yet. So let's just forget this happened and drive. So they start down this shitty neighborhood. There's all these gangbangers driving around. And like, yeah, this, this might not be the best neighborhood to have a million dollars strapped to our bodies. And they, they, what is it? They start driving down to try to find the BQE. And they can't because there's construction. Yeah, because it's construction and there's these construction guys and the sign for the freeway is like been taken down. And here's here's another, you know, hilarious moment about New York where like, you know, the guys like where they, they pull up and they, like to ask them, like, where's the sign? How do I get on the expressway? And the 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 workers are like, oh, yeah, we're just here taking down signs. And Bill Murray's like, when, when are the signs getting put back up? Oh, that's tomorrow. Like, you know, and, and it's funny, too, because, again, you wouldn't really think about it. But many New Yorkers don't drive. So we don't know where the freeway is. You know, New Yorkers, most people that live in the city are going to take public transportation. So, like, you can't tell somebody how to get on the freeway if you don't drive. <laughs> This is where Bill goes on a rant, right? He's like, well, you know, he hates these construction guys. He's like, you know, you could have helped us, but instead you've given us so much more. And he's like, God damn it, I hate this city. Like, these idiots have to live here. Let's get out of this crap hole. So, yeah, just one uh, misfortune after another is going to follow these. Is mm-hmm. What happens next? They're going, they end them like in like Spanish Harlem or something. I'm not entirely yeah. sure where they are. And they... They see a joust. What's the joust? What is this deal? Okay, I, I have to I have to roll backwards just for a hot minute because there's another small one of those like small moment moments. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the the chief is he gets off the phone with him. He's outside and he's walking back in, and all the reporters are outside. And they're yelling and hollering at him at him, and they're like, you know, how how's everything going in the sewer? And the next reporter is like, how much time did you spend in the sewer? And Jason Robards just look at looks at them and he's like, where do you guys? get this stuff and then he walks in the bank and walks past two people these the two workers lighting up a cigarette who clearly just got out of the sewer so <laughs> just again like little little things like that and then um at the end of that scene the chief goes they are getting farther away every second and then the next cut is a cut to to the bank robbers driving in their car backwards like just, you know, just little brilliant moments like that. There's a great little inside joke there. I don't know if you know this one. It's as as you are a New Yorker, I am a Californian. There's a scene where they're driving backwards and Loomis is like, I saw a sign. And, oh, and yeah. they look up yeah. and it says 49 mile scenic drive and it's got a little pelican on it or a seagull. Yeah. You know, you know where that sign is from? No. That's a San Francisco sign. Just a little inside joke that there's a San Francisco sign in the middle of New York for no reason. That's really that's really funny because, yeah, I can't imagine there are any scenic drives in in Queens anywhere. I mean, may, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm about to piss people off from Queens, but uh, I'm sure parts of Queens are very pretty. Yeah. So, OK, so talk about this jousting scene, because I I've never understood the scene. It's very random. What happens here? 
So they they drive up and yes, they're they're in they're in some kind of Hispanic neighborhood and they pull up to a guy in the middle of the street on a bicycle uh holding on to some kind of, you know, maybe like a like a, a long mop handle, but it doesn't have the actual mop head on it. It just has the like metal part that you would connect the the mop to. And he looks very serious. And, you know, they lean out the window. They're like, hey, can you tell us how to get to the freeway or which way to the airport? I can't remember exactly what they're they're asking him. And there's no response to this guy on the bicycle. And he's, you know, very con- – he's concentrating and he's got like a – a, a necklace on or like you know maybe it's a cross and he he's praying and he picks up and kisses the cross and then takes off on the bicycle with this mop handle sticking out like he's jousting and it's this this like completely random scene of these two guys on bicycles that are legit jousting in front of a crowd. And it's serious because there's like grandparents and like, you know, wives and babies and, you know, the and like flamenco music playing and it's very dramatic. And, you know, here Bill Murray and his band of, of um, bank robbers are just watching dumbfounded, like what is happening and, uh, yeah, one guy gets knocked off his, his bicycle and the people they're oh no. And they just like sign of the cross. <laughs> and I think the, the wife is like, now, you know, she's, she's disgraced and just, you know, where, where, where does that even, where does bike jousting even come from? <laughs> like just kind of amazing. The scene has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Yeah. It's just complete aside. No bearing on the plot whatsoever. Just totally random. Yeah, just that New York is an odd place. <laughs> okay yeah so the bank robbers have seen this they see a man die in a bike joust apparently and now they're like or get knocked out yeah Who knows? they're like okay we're we're spooked they're like that's a bad omen let's let's just keep going and this is a a fun scene they see a uh car pulled off on the side of this little turnout and they, they see this handsome young man fiddling with a well map dressed. yeah well dressed yeah, and it's a nice car i think it's a convertible like a like a cadillac or something and this is randall flag himself jamie sheridan and they yes. see him and they're like oh look at this guy he looks nice let's ask him for directions and right off the bat bill murray's like he's suspicious he's like this guy looks too good like he's probably mm-hmm. a serial killer like <laughs> right off the bat he just doesn't trust any new yorker who looks helpful and right. uh, randy quaid's like well maybe he's from out of town He's got an Iowa license plate, so Bill's like, well, okay, maybe he's a tourist and he's lost. I guess I'll go ask him. And it turns out that Bill Murray's instincts were correct. Mm-hmm. Yes, because uh, when they comment on the car, you know, like, oh, like they ask him, like, you know, hey, can you, Bill Murray gets out of the car. Like, Gina Davis and uh, Randy Quaid are still in the car. And Bill Murray, you know, come gets out of the car to, to talk to Jamie Sheridan. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've got a, I've got a map of the glove. And comes back out with uh, a map and they're looking at the map and Bill Murray kind of, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, this is this is a nice car. Like you visiting from Iowa and Jamie Sheridan looks at him. He's like, I don't know. This is a stolen car. Like totally, (laughs) you know, not a big deal. Just another throwaway line. And Bill Murray's like, wait, what? And, you know, meanwhile, Gina Davis and Randy Quaid are in the back talking. And Gina Davis has been trying to tell something to Bill Murray you know, like we kind of see this happening kind of around the, the payphone call and before the honk and, 
you know, I think she's, she's trying to figure out, she's got something important she needs to tell him. And they're just, the timing isn't right. And Bill Murray's, you know, now that he's robbed a bank and he's very happy with himself because he pulled off this amazing plan and she can't quite find the, the time to tell him this really, really important thing. So, you know, she's, she's kind of getting upset and, and, you know, um, uh, Randy Quaid is like, oh, but you, you need to be more supportive of him. And little do we know that now Bill Murray is being marched over at gunpoint with his hands in the air by the, you know, quote unquote, nice guy with the map. <laughs> yeah. To, to make a long story short, Jamie Sheridan robs them. He takes all their suitcases out of the trunk, which have all their replacement clothes that they were going to change into at the airport. And somehow he misses the million dollars taped to their bodies under their clothes. But again, they get mugged. Classic New York story. The nice guy mugs them. So now they're screwed because they're not going to go to the airport in the clothes they escape with the bank from. So now they need to get some new clothes. And Phyllis is like, well, my apartment is just around the corner. I left some clothes there when I move out. I'm sure nothing will go wrong if we just park our car over there in front of the fire hydrant and go into my apartment. Yeah. And, and, and he says, where do you park around here? And, and she's like, oh, just park in front of the hydrant. I'm sure no harm will befall us once I'm parked in front of the fire hydrant. <laughs> nope, nope, not at all. So they they get into the apartment uh, and they 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 change some clothes and she's she's got men's and women's clothes. And, and why do you have men's clothes? And it was her ex or whatever. And so she's she has to kind of fix some of the clothes for for Bill Murray. And then lo and behold, who walks in the door? But our buddy Phil Hartman. Yeah, Phil Hartman is the next tenant. He's about to move in. He sees all these people in there fiddling around with suitcases and stuff, and he assumes they're there to rob him. Well, oh, yeah, I think what was happening is uh, the keys were uh, were in um, Randy Quaid's clothes, which somehow ended up under a TV. Mm-hmm. So Randy Quaid picks up the TV so they can get his jeans out, and that's when Phil Hartman walks in, who looks at Randy Quaid holding the TV. Yeah, Phil Hartman's instinct is that these guys are robbing him, and he pulls out a gun. And so now our hapless uh, bank robbers are trapped by this guy with a gun in his, uh, their apartment. And as this is happening, they're trying to talk their way out of this. Behind them, there's a fire in the apartment across the street. And here come the fire department. Yeah, Randy Quaid's watching. And Randy Quaid watching this, and he's like, guys, there's smoke. There's there's the buildings on fire. So he's Randy Quaid's looking at the window, narrating this. Meanwhile, while Phil Hartman has a gun on Gina Davis and Bill Murray, and they're trying to tell, you know, Phil Hartman, hey, this is my apartment. Like, you know, we're not officially out of here till Tuesday. You know, this is my stuff. These are my clothes. This is, you know, we're not here robbing you. And yeah, all this going on. The fire department's been called. And of course, where are they parked? Right in front of the hydrant. So now the fire department gets in there, breaks the glass, gets the emergency brake off of the car. The car goes rolling down the street and like down into a bush and goes away. Yeah. Okay, just I'm going to skip through this scene pretty quick because I want to finish up. There's a lot more to go in this podcast. But uh, yeah, so they lose their car. The fire department has unlocked their car. It rolls down the hill. So now our kidnapper, our our bank robbers have no car. They're now at the mercy of public transit in New York for the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. And Phil Hartman's holding a gun on them. And again, Bill Murray's going to sweet talk his way out of the scene. You guys can watch the movie to see how he does it. But there's one line in particular that my brother and I always loved. And we quoted it to each other endlessly when we were kids is that, uh, let's see if you know which line I'm talking about. Um, Bill Murray and Gina Davis are kind of mumbling under their breath, 
And Phil Hartman hears them, and he's like, hey, no codes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my brother and I somehow fixated on that line when we were kids. And, like, if I was talking to my mom and my brother couldn't hear, he would say, hey, no codes. Oh, God, that's funny. Oh, no, yeah. And nobody but the two of us had any idea what we were quoting, but that's, I would just uh -huh. say that's a personal favorite line right here. My one of my favorite moments is uh, is, you know, after they've lost the car, they get out from, you know, they somehow they they get they get Phil Hartman to drop the gun and, you know, they get out of the apartment and the old security guard is talking to the chief. And I think the I think it's either the security guard or the chief says the three of them shouting with glee is like, you know, they're excited that they robbed the mm -hmm. bank. And then the next cut is to them yelling, taxi, taxi. <laughs> So, you know, it gives you these like little, these little transitional moments are just so brilliant. Yeah. A lot of little editing jokes. Like you said, there's at least four scenes in this movie where the cop says something and we immediately cut to the bank robbers doing just the opposite. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and this is also where, where Loomis, where, uh, you know, where Randy Quaid starts basically losing his shit. Yeah. Randy Quaid will be insane the rest of the movie because he's having a panic attack. And this is where, again, it's going to get real tense. There's some really incredibly good tense scenes here where the cop has figured out, okay, it was the three first three hostages. Yes. And see if the video footage, let's go find them. Like, and so we, they know who they're looking for now. And we cut to this great scene. And here we go. The greatest supporting character in this movie maybe one of the greatest supporting characters in any movie ever tony shalhoub as the cab driver uh-huh just you know and again and i forgot it was him and i'm watching this and i'm like wait where did he come from i don't remember him being in this movie and i'm looking at it and i'm like is he literally even speaking a real language? I don't think he is. I think he is talking gibberish, which, you know, I guess in this day and age, that was perfectly acceptable <laughs> as a as a joke to play a foreigner and just make complete fun of somebody else's culture. But, you know, hey, well, we don't have to dwell on that. Yeah. OK, well, I'll, I'll paint the picture here for people because. You should watch this movie for many reasons, but just for Tony Shalhoub as the cab driver. And again, for years, when I'd see Tony Shalhoub in other stuff, I would always think, oh, that's the cab driver. That's the quick change guy. So I still, this is the first movie I ever saw him in. He plays a cab driver of indeterminate origin. We don't know where he's yeah. from. He doesn't speak English. Like, I think M Middle Eastern-ish. Yeah, and he is the only one who will stop for them. All the, the bank robbers are panicking, screaming. Randy Quaid says, we need a cab, one lousy fucking cab, and he collapses in the street, and the only person that stops is this random Middle Eastern cab driver, and so they get in the car, and boy, is this a fun scene where Tony Shalhoub starts talking to them, and they have no idea what the hell he's saying. Yeah, it sounds like he's asking where are we supposed to go, but it's I think one one word, and I don't I don't even think I wrote it. Okay, down. I wrote it down. He says, "What a hard doll, what a hard doll," <laughs> and he keeps saying that, and they're like, "What? What a hard doll?" And they think he's saying where too, and so they yeah. point the picture of the airplane on their plane ticket, and he's like, "Okay," and then he says, "What a hard doll," and this is where I get the quote that I used on my computer with Randy Quaid saying, "What do you got shit in your ears? Come on." <laughs> you know and every time they they say airport tony shalhoub like you know hits his head like oh yeah 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 right like i'm so stupid i know you're supposed to go to the airport and then like a minute later and you know oh we're going to the airport and yeah so you know they, it's like they're they're so close and yet they're still so far away 
Jesus, the goddamn airport! So, just this great frustrated scene of them trying to communicate and them, two of them screaming at the cab driver because he's an idiot, and Bill Murray saying, you know, he may be a guest in our country. Let's be gentle. Yes. Let's be nice. So, just a <laughs> yeah. fun scene. And then the cab driver apparently doesn't understand colors either. He goes straight through a red light. Yes. Yeah, and so Randy Quaid freaks out, like Celia said, he's freaking out at this point, and they go through a red light, and he's like, no, stop, and Randy Quaid's so upset, he sees another cab, and he tries to jump out of their moving cab to uh, get this other one, and he goes crashing into a wall and basically knocks himself silly, and this will lead to the great tense moment in this movie here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he goes running out of the cab to try to catch the other cab, and I think he actually, uh, he crashes into a magazine stand. Yes. Uh, and hits his head pretty hard and then just, you know, falls down. And Gina Davis and Bill Murray run to his aid. And meanwhile, Tony Shalhoub is, is now losing his shit because he thinks he killed a guy. <laughs> he does a monologue. It's, I love this. Yeah, you get this little, like, Hamlet monologue of Shalhoub in the cab monologuing that he killed somebody and he's guilty and he's now committed a sin. But it's all in his, whatever his language is. But it's all, yeah, nonsense, complete <laughs> nonsense. But you, you understand what he's like and, he, and you can see the guilt all over his face of, like, what did I do? What just happened? Oh, my God. And he's mortified. <laughs> and he will come back later. Don't worry. We'll get more of Shalhoub in a second. He drives off. He flees the scene in the parlance of Fargo. He flees the interview and he leaves. And so uh, Loomis or uh, Bill Murray, Gina Davis and Randy Quaid are now on the ground trying to re uh, trying to revive Randy Quaid. And this is where the cops have heard the story. Well, apparently somebody jumped out of a moving car at some corner. And, and that's panic. Yeah, Jason Robards identifies it. That's someone panicking. That might be yeah. our people. So here come all the cops. Every cop on the force yeah. is coming to this intersection, and we're going to have some madness here. And there's a really, really, again, funny little baby moment where where um, Jason Robards, like at the end of at the end of one of the his conversations with his associate takes his hand and just they just walk away <laughs> like the associate is kind of like okay i'm gonna go with this right now because jason robards is so into it that he's like figuring out that they're, they're they're like they're narrowing the chase they're getting close so he just kind of grabs his hand and they walk away and it's just like if you blink you would miss it okay so uh things are going to go from bad to worse for our bank robbers here that they they hear the cops coming. They see all this activity coming to the corner. They're now stranded there without a ride. And so Bill Murray... Yeah, and they're and they they're able to revive Loomis. So they get Randy Quaid up off the ground and everybody cheers. No, they don't cheer. They boo. Oh, they boo. That's yeah, right. <laughs> it's a great New York moment because they're all this crowd around expecting a dead guy. And Randy Quaid gets up and they're all like, aww. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Clearly, I think I started getting tired and stopped taking uh, very detailed notes. Oh, man, I've seen this movie so many times. I, I didn't even have to take notes. I'm just reciting a lot of this. But here's here's a great Bill Murray moment. And I will specifically have to highlight this because this might be the greatest Bill Murray one liner ever in a movie where he he takes a little band of uh, bank robbers and they're looking for an escape from the cops because all the cops are coming. And he starts feeling around along this wall for doors like there has to be a door we can duck into. And lo and behold, bad's going to go to worse as they duck into a mob hideout. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, totally yeah. random. So Stanley Tucci's there. And it's, it's kind of funny that Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub are both in this movie since they were later brothers in Big Night, one of my other favorite movies. Oh, funny. Yeah, my, my little note I wrote down, Stanley Tucci with hair. <laughs> minimal, minimal hair, but still hair. Minimal, but still there's hair there. 
Yeah. So here's the line, and this is for all you Bill Murray devotees. This is how you deliver a punchline. Stanley Tucci puts a gun in Bill Murray's back as they walk into the mob hideout, and Stanley Tucci's first line is, this ain't my dick in your back. And Bill Murray just kind of waits a beat and says, that's a relief. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Top that line. That is the greatest Bill Murray one-liner ever. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Again, I think this it's true. This man has no dick is probably (laughs) my favorite Bill Murray one-liner ever, but that's just me. And Kingpin. There's there's Kingpin, too, which I. Oh, yes. Which also is hilarious that that's, you know, Bill Murray and Randy Quaid again, like. Uh, and and it's funny, I made a note in here later that like Randy Quaid plays this like, chi- you know, towards the end of the movie when, you know, he's so stressed out that he just, you know, has no choice but to just like, collapse, basically. Mm-hmm. That, like He plays this like childlike glee so well, just like Kingpin. And I was like, wait, they were both in that, that movie, too. <laughs> and actually, at this point in the movie, they've officially been munsoned in the middle of nowhere. They have been months in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it all comes full circle. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah, so they've wandered into this mob room, and, and Bill Murray knows they're dead. He, all these guns are pointed at them, and he starts bullshitting because that's what he does. And he tries to pass himself off as a bag man. So he's like, I'm here for the money. And Gina mm-hmm. Davis is like, what the hell are you doing? And he's like, I have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, but somehow, somehow he, he, you know, he's got the gift of gab and is able to bullshit his way out of being killed. And here is where we are introduced uh, by name only to one of the next big characters, Lambino. Okay, there's two here. And one of them happens to share my name. So I'm more than happy to bring it up. Yeah, Mario. Yeah, okay. So this is the the biggest mob boss in the city of New York named Vincent Lambino. And this is where we first hear of him because this is one of his warehouses. And you think it's insignificant, but he will become important later in the movie. So this is one of Lambino's storehouses and Bill Murray tries to pass himself off as Lambino's, you know, associate picking up the money. And everyone's like, well, what happened to Mario? Mario was the bag man. And they're, they're like a scared of this guy, Mario, a big bald thug. And Bill Murray's like, fine, if you want to send him instead of me, fine. But I'm much nicer. So if you give me the money, you don't have to deal with Mario. So, again, we'll see Lambino later. We'll see Mario later. But for this scene, Bill Murray somehow talks his way out of this. And not only did they escape with their lives, they get out with $6,000 of the mob's money. <laughs> No. Just, you know, just just paltry six grand and a little white envelope. No big deal. Meanwhile, they have a million dollars trapped to their to their to their person. So, you know, six grand is chump change. But hey, as far as they're concerned, they basically talk themselves out of getting killed. So good for them. And they get they they are able to walk back out of the warehouse. But the cops and everybody else are still there. So what do they see? A bus. A bus. Yeah, and this is probably the best scene in the movie, just entire, just all these characters that can converge on this one bus where Bill Murray and his associates try to sneak their way onto the bus, and this is where we meet one of the other great side characters in the movie, the, the asshole bus driver, who is so inflexible in his ways, he will not let them get on the bus until they have exact change. Exact change, and he won't leave until it's, like, down to the second. Like, he's one of those, like, you know, regimented, my bus leaves at this time, and I'm at this stop at this time. And, um, yeah, the and they ask him, does the bus go to the airport? And he says, no, it goes near the airport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, again, little, they're not going to get to the airport. They're just going to get near the airport. 
Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. So Bill Murray is like giving this guy a hundred dollar bill. Just take us, take us. And the driver's like, no, exact change only three dollars, or I do not leave. And so Bill has to, he ditches Gina Davis and Randy Quaid on the bus, and he has to sneak over to his mini-mart. It's like a Korean mini-mart or something over across the street, and he's trying to get change. And this is where everything will converge all at once, as Bill Murray's waiting in line for change. There's cops all over the place, and then the cab driver, for some reason, comes back to turn himself into the cops because he thinks he killed somebody. Walking on his knees, holding his arms up, like, please handcuff me because I, I killed some guy, you know, blubbering in his indistinct non, non-language, <laughs> you know, please take me. Yeah, and as all this is going on, now we see Mario, the hitman, show up at the mob warehouse to get his money. And Gina Davis sees it. She's like, oh, no, oh, no. Yeah. Everything is converging right here as Bill Murray's waiting in line to get change at the deli. Yep. And uh, I think, you know, Bill Murray knows that he's got, you know, they're counting down the seconds, basically. And there's some lady who is doing her straight up grocery shopping, which, by the way, like no New Yorker does their full on straight grocery shopping at a bodega. They might grab like one or two or three things or a small handful of things. but They're not going to buy like two bags worth of groceries (laughs) at a freaking bodega on the corner. But, you know, there's a little old lady that's in front of Bill Murray and he's like trying to help speed things along. So, you know, he's getting impatient. He starts throwing her stuff in the, um, like bagging her groceries and like not really doing it with very much care. The lady looks up and she's like, Oh, thank you. Nice young man. Like, you know, thanks for helping. And you know, all Bill Murray wants to do is just get change and she's digging for exact change. And, He's doing everything in his power to, like, make the cashier speed up. And the cashier's just, like, lazily smoking a cigarette while he's ringing her stuff up. And, yeah, but that down to the second, like, like the bus driver is the one that's counting the seconds. Like, he's looking at his watch. Like, if this guy doesn't get on this bus in 15 more seconds, I'm out of here. And somehow they he Bill Murray gets his change while also both Mario and Tony Shaloub noticing that he's there and they some he like he's able to run for the bus while the other two quote unquote witnesses are like hooting and hollering like he's getting on the bus it's that guy yeah yeah again again this would this would be a perfect scene in an action movie or a suspense movie it's kind of weird that it's in a comedy but yeah bill murray gets out everything converges mario comes out with a gun in his hand and he's like grabbing the mob guys by the by their throats the cab driver sees bill murray and starts going ape shit pointing him out and they all start running for the bus at the same time and that's right when rotzinger pulls up the cop and, and in all the confusion rotzinger thinks the cabbie is identifying mario the bagman and somehow bill murray right. slips onto the bus and they drive away. And then that means that Rotzinger can now get Mario the Bagman and and also Tony Shaloub. And well, I can't remember where the uh, the interpreter joke comes in. Yeah, but, it's coming. Uh, it's coming. Okay, yeah. So uh, Rotzinger immediately identifies Mario Minetti as one of the top associates of Vincent Lombino. And we don't know this until later, but his his mindset in this movie is going to flip right here that all of a sudden he's not chasing the clown. He realizes Vincent Lombino's in New York and this is a big hit. And like, what mm-hmm. what's going on? Why is this guy here? So they start they start interrogating Minetti. They're like, like, does the does the clown work for you? Does it work for Lombino? And the Minetti's like, who's the clown? Like, what are you talking about? And they can't get this answer. They don't figure out how this is all works. 
And then the cab, the cab driver comes over and starts talking to Jason Robards. And he has a little speech here, all in his little weird Arabic or whatever he's speaking. He's like, la, 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 blah, fluff, Tony, blah, blah, blah. No, Jason Robards just pats him on the shoulder like, that's good. Thank you. Yeah. And so yeah. they need to get an interpreter for the cab driver. That's what happens here. That's right. That's right. But what's I and again, didn't write this down, but there's a really funny joke where the they, they get a um, he asked he, he was like, he asked for an interpreter. But um, yeah, I might have to let you tell this one. I'll do this one. Yeah, just, just, don't worry. I got this one down to the last detail. OK, so the cops need to talk to the cab driver and they don't know which language he speaks. And Jason Robard says, get an interpreter. When one of the cops mishears this and thinks he says interrogator. Oh, that's right. So, so <laughs> right. they have this interrogation session, which we don't see. But you see the cab driver, this poor, poor cab driver, they pull into the shot. And he's all beaten and, and flinching and terrified because apparently they've been beating the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> and Jason Robards is like, why is he scared? I said, get an interpreter. And they're like, well, I thought you said interrogator. <laughs> and, so, um, and so, yeah, so he starts talking to Mario, trying to figure out where the clown went. And this is where uh, Mario Minetti says, well, they're on a bus. And meanwhile, off to the side, you hear the cab driver saying, Bluff Tony. That's the one word he keeps saying, Bluff Tony, Bluff Tony. And so Robards is trying to look back and forth between his two witnesses, trying to figure out what a Bluff Tony means. And this is where Tony Shalhoub goes into, like, charades. Yeah. Where he mimics driving a bus. He's like, Bluff Tony, Bluff Tony. And then he does this great imitation of a bus honking. Oh, and he goes, yeah, honk, honk. <laughs> <laughs> one of the greatest quotes of a 90s movie right there. Bluff Tony. Uh, uh. <laughs> oh, and it's so funny because it really does sound like a bus horn. <laughs> it does. The one thing he knows how to say in English. He can imitate a bus horn. Uh, uh. <laughs> and so Robards is like, they're on a Bluff Tony. He finally figures out they escaped on a bus. So here's the last 15 minutes of the movie is the cops chasing down every bus in the city, number nine bus, trying to stop them before they get to the airport. Yep. And meanwhile, you know, so we, we cut back to our, our now just completely beside themselves bank robbers gang. Like they're on the bus. They're trying to get to the, the the near the airport, not to the airport, just near the airport. And the bus driver's pissed because he was he was late. So, you know, and he he gets he gets one stop and there's a dude that tries to get on the bus with a guitar strapped on his shoulder. Literally, the guitar is like, you know, horizontal. And so he can't quite get on. And every time he tries to get on, he gets thrown back off the bus again. And Bill Murray is just like, here, you know what? Take this six thousand dollars. Go change your life. Go, you know, you're not going to need a bus anymore. Like giving them the mob money, basically like get off this bus so we can get as close to the airport as we possibly can. Yeah, because at this point they've missed their first flight. But Bill Murray was smart enough to make a second reservation to St. Martinique or something like that. So there's still mm -hmm. one tiny chance they're going to catch the second flight. And it's really a race here is their bus to the airport and the bus drops them off and it doesn't go at the airport. So it like drops them off in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, down a very dark and ominous street, which is now we're coming up to one of my most favorite parts of the movie, which why this is my most favorite part of the movie, I have no idea, because it's also, it's just as random as the bike joust. Okay, explain this one. This is the, the dark grandma of death, right? 
Yes, dark grandma of death. So they're so they're walking down this just, I mean, just dark, ominous alleyway, and you know, clearly they they've had a bad omen after bad omen, and they hear this like female voice wailing, and they come up and kind of walk past this woman in the shadows, this older woman holding flowers, wearing you know, kind of a, a black lacy shawl, and she's yelling, flores. Flores para los muertos. And she says this over and over and over again. Para los muertos. Los muertos. And it's very dramatic. And, you know, Bill, the Grimm or um, Loomis um, says, like, what, is, what does that mean? Flores para los muertos. And Bill Murray has this look on his face like, don't tell him. But Gina Davis doesn't see the look on his face. And she goes, oh, that's flowers. It means flowers for the dead. And here's where, again, Loomis just loses his shit. Just, like, flowers for the dead! And, yeah, like, bad omen after bad omen. And, you know, clearly, he he's at the end of his rope at this point. We're all gonna die! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although there's a great Bill Murray one-liner here, where right after the grandma of death speaks her omen that they're all gonna die, Bill Murray says, Wow, I bet there's a lot of competition for that corner. <laughs> And again, you know, just one of those random you blink, you're going to miss it moments. And then as if the, the clouds parted and the sun were to come out, all of a sudden a garage door opens with lights and they're stuck there like deer in the headlights looking like what is happening. And all of a sudden they see one of those luggage vehicle carts come out that says JFK on it. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Do, do, would you think they might actually get to the airport? They found the first friendly assistance in the entire trip. Some guy gives them a ride to the airport on the baggage carrier. Yeah, well, they had to pay for it. <laughs> well, okay, that's true. Sorry. <laughs> our, our cynical New Yorker has put out, pointed out the obvious here, yes. The, and, that, and that's part of the conversation is, is uh, you know, oh, we had to, I, I had to pay him such and such, you know, dollars or whatever. Okay, let's just say here that the movie has a fantastic start, the first 20 minutes, and it's got a killer ending the last five minutes because there's a neat little twist here that you don't see mm -hmm. coming. So let's, I'm going to jump right to that here. Um, so the, 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 the bank robbers get to the airport, and they're there, and lo and behold, Rotzinger has beaten them there. The cop is there. He's waiting because there was a scene earlier where Rotzinger was tipped off. We see the cab driver and Mario Minetti in the back of a police car, and they're giving away info, and, Ro and Rotzinger apparently understands something they're talking about, and he's like, all right, airport, we're going to the airport right now. So he's here and he's waiting for them and we get this big long scene between Rotzinger and one of his uh, deputies where he's like, you know, I'm going to get on the plane and I'll wait till they get past the metal detectors. Give me, give me, give me three minutes. Give me three minutes on the plane. But he says, this is very important to me. This will make or break my reputation. Like, and frankly, after today, I really need this. And you think mm -hmm. he's talking about arresting Bill Murray the clown, but he's not. He's actually, as we're about to find out, we're about to meet Vincent Lombino, the king of the New York underworld. Who ends up being Kurtwood Smith, a.k.a. Uh, Red from uh, That 70s Show mm -hmm. and various other things that we have mentioned. But, yeah, he's he, he's sitting on the plane and we don't quite know who he is. Oh, no. You know what? He is actually in line at the ticket counter yeah. with his wife when Bill Murray pushes himself through to get his ticket. So Bill Murray sets Gina Davis off with Randy Quaid, who at this point they've set him up with a wheelchair and some 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 skis that they stole to make it look like 
he was injured in a skiing accident because Randy Quaid is basically a hot mess at this point from all the uh, from all the the injuries injuries that he is he has sustained. Um, and you know he says Bill Murray says okay I'll go get the tickets and you know you just get them on the plane and he's at this point not sure if he's going to see Gina Davis again because of said plot twist. But he pushes his way through the ticket line up to you know the the ticket guy who was a little bit more on the effeminate side and this was again kind of a joke for 1990 because that was funny at the day during that during this time and you know Kurtwood Smith is like you don't cut in front of Mr. and Mrs. Crane and you know it's just this like soup it just comes off we don't really know who this guy is he's just some dude in line with his with his very pretty but silent wife yeah. He's just a new, an asshole New Yorker is what you think he is. Exactly, exactly. Entitled, you know, and so Bill Murray ends up, I think he like hands the guy behind the counter money or maybe the guy just looks at him and is like, how can I help you? Because Bill Murray is not being an asshole to him. So clearly the guy behind the counter is going to help the non-asshole guy versus the asshole guy. And so Bill Murray ends up getting his tickets before uh, who we later find out to be is, is Mr. Lambino. Yeah. Okay, so here's the end of the movie is that this asshole Russ Crane, Kerwood Smith, is on the plane with them, and Bill Murray's there with Randy Quaid on the plane, and all of a sudden they're all seated and they're all ready to take off, and here comes the cop, here comes Ratzinger boarding the plane with a gun, and you think he's there for Bill Murray, you think the jig is up, the movie's over, but no, he is there for Vincent Lombino, who is the big git, and he's even sad, he's like, this guy Lombino takes more out of this town in a day than the clown could take in a year. So the minute right. he learned that Lombino was in town and that Mario Minetti has fingered him as saying he's on the plane, he's here to arrest Lombino. He completely forgot about the clown. He has no interest in him whatsoever. So he arrests uh, Mr. Russ Crane, who turned out to be Lombino. And lo and behold, in the, in the chaos, Bill Murray helps him. Yeah, there's a little tussling on the plane. So, you know, they... They, he's he basically, you know, Mr. Lambino's like, you'll never take me alive and starts, uh, starts fighting the cop. And at one point, uh, Randy Quaid was like, I have to get this money off of me. So he's got his money now in a duffel bag and somehow either Russ Crane or Mrs. Lambino, who now it turns out has a voice like this. So we never really hear her talk until <laughs> like they're on the plane. And she's like, you know, so it's like one of those like funny little, you know, jokes where she's really pretty and you think and she's little and you think that she would have this like little bit of a voice but no she's she actually sounds like a dude um a little bit like a super you know new york accent and she's pissed because you know all she wants to do is be able to get away so she picks up the bag and starts hitting the cop with the bag as well and you know but also kind of like being a dick to her husband and and one of my favorite lines is i did it with mario Vinny." <laughs> like Vinny, you warm yeah, you blame like she's mad they get caught. And I think uh, Mario and Tony Shalhoub are still down on the tarmac in the police car watching all of this as they get dragged off of the plane. Um, you know, and, and he's like, I love you, baby. And they're like yelling at each other. So just again, all these like random little plot twists that don't really have anything to do with our, our clown, but just still make this movie, you know, just so funny and interesting. Yeah. And there's a great visual joke that I got to point out here where, uh, the cops storm the plane and Bill Murray and Randy Quaid, Gina Davis kind of help the cop catch 
Lombino and he gets dragged off the plane and uh, Mario's down in the police car and he's like, yeah, that's him. And so everybody, everybody starts cheering because uh, Ratzinger has caught the uh, number one, you know, the king of New York underworld. And so as he's being dragged off to jail, you see the cab driver, Tony Shalhoub, just going absolutely apeshit in the back of the police car, rolling around because he knows that's the wrong person. He's like, no, mm-hmm. no, that's not the person. You can just see him squirming and wiggling in the car. I just love watching for that at the end of the movie here. Right, right. And then, you know, now, of course, Rothinger's on the plane who wants to thank Bill Murray for helping him. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you send up the, 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 la- the last bit. Keep in mind at this point, he has never actually seen Bill Murray's face in this movie. He has seen him as the clown. He has seen him as the red hair guy. He doesn't know what he looks like. He has no idea he's talking to the guy who robbed the bank, you know, 16 hours earlier or whatever. So uh, Rotzinger comes over and says, you know, young man, you helped me eliminate the biggest criminal element in New York City. Thank you. I wish there were more people like you. And Bill Murray lowers his voice. He's like, well, you know, don't say that. And Ratzinger's like, I'd like to send you a commendation in the mail. I'd like to thank you for your help in assisting me. What's your name? And Bill Murray, not thinking, says, well, it's uh, Dan Chapowski. And so Ratzinger writes it up. He's like, all right, Dan Chapowski, thank you very much. And then. Yeah. And he, and he says he repeats Dan. He says, thank you very much, Dan. You know, so he repeats his first name. So, I mean, it, it's possible that Bill Murray did think about this, but like, you know, not maybe did. Maybe he didn't because he did give Dan and Dan was the name that was repeated. Mm-hmm. And it's not until uh, till Jason Robards gets back out and, you know, talks and talks to his his associate about, you know, the, the Good Samaritan that helped him out. And as he says, is his name, he goes Kip- Kipowski, Chipowski. And you see his face. And like I said at the start of the movie, just remember the skip versus chip when he keeps giving me as the name. All of a sudden, Jason Robards, it dawns on his name. I just talked to the clown, Skipowski, Chipowski. And he looks up, and there goes the plane flying off into the night. And the bank robbers have escaped, and Jason Robards knows who they are, and he knows they escaped, but he still doesn't know their name. And and you get the impression he's going to let them go. He's like, you know what? I got Lombino off the streets. That's good enough. Let's just let them. You know, I tip my cap. Good, good, good job. You guys made it. And the bank robbers escape, and that's the end of the movie. Yep. Oh, man. Just a fun well above average comedy for that era that again people at the time would have known but i mean it was a fairly decent hit it's not like it was a bomb but it's not like it was ghostbusters big either but it was still big enough that people should remember it and people of a certain age like my age and celia's age know this movie just because of when it came out and it's really one that i felt so strongly needed to be a staff picks episode and it the only reason it took 50 episodes is because i couldn't find a goddamn person who knows this movie which, again, surprises me so much because, you know, it is one of, you know, my more favorite movies, too. But, I mean, I have a lot of really random favorite movies anyway, mm-hmm. so maybe that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> and, again, I go back to how I opened this podcast. When somebody asked Bill Murray to name two funny Bill Murray movies, he picked Ghostbusters, which, of course, he's going to name. And he picked mm-hmm. Quick Change. He didn't say Caddyshack. He didn't say Stripes. He didn't say Meatballs. He didn't say Groundhog Day. He said quick change. So just let that sink in of how highly he thinks of this movie. And that's why I think everyone needs to know this movie. It's it's really good, I think. Yep. Yep. So if you 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 haven't watched it, I highly we we highly recommend it. (laughs) Yes, we do. It's a if we were to give out a dope cup for Bill Murray comedies, this would win. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. (laughs) I mean, if if, it should win or at least get best runner up. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, Celia, I just want to thank you for coming on and uh, talking about this movie again. This is one I had uh, very high hopes for, and I thought you did a great job. Someone who clearly knows and loves this movie. And again, so excited that a girl from high school actually talked to me. So this was a first. So well done. Well, I guess it just goes to show that, you know, if you want girls to talk to you, have a podcast. That's right. Fame, fame and and fortune (laughs) always works. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute blast. Yeah, and I'm not kidding. I'm going to get you on the air for Max Dugan Returns because that's one. Oh, God, please. That one's so obscure. I hadn't even considered it for a podcast because I thought that one, there's no way. Because I don't think that one's even available on DVD. I'm not sure how to even find that. But yeah, that's. Um, I mean, possibly it might be one of those. We we have to find it and, and download it. Um, I'm pretty sure it's it's on an HBO reel somewhere. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I love that movie. Like it, it's just baby Matthew Broderick is just so adorable. Yeah. For people who don't know, it's, uh, Matthew Broderick and Jason Robards is his grandfather who comes out, has comes out of jail and his grandfather's dying. So he's bestowing all these gifts on his grandfather, on his grandson. And since he was a criminal, most of the stuff is stolen or has been get, gotten from uh, bad means somehow. So the mom is struggles with, with she should let her grandfather give all the stuff to his grand, grandson. And it's really, it's actually quite a touching movie and it's got a cool ending. And just, I saw it a ton as a kid and it just is completely unknown nowadays so yeah i will mm-hmm. bring you back for that one for sure okay sounds great all right and again for my listeners my name is mario lanza this is staff picks you can reach me on email staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or you can reach me at twitter at mario j lanza and until the next time i talk to you i will be out there searching for more underrated or underloved movies and i will find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them this ain't my dick in your back by the way bye What the hell kind of clown are you? The crying on the inside kind, I guess. <laughs> Look, I'm just an old man. Really? Yeah. Bluff, tell me.